near the end of the Second World War, deep behind enemy lines, there were these Nazi prison camps. A few years ago, I read a story about one specific camp that had this unique story about it. What happened was, as you can imagine, just like all the other camps, the prisoners, the allied prisoners who were in this camp were malnourished. They weren't fed well by the, the, the Nazi guards. They weren't uh, clothed well. They were malnourished. They were lonely. They were isolated. If you were watching this camp as a guard, you would see these, these prisoners, and they would walk around with their, their face down. They were, they were downcast. They would have their shoulders hunched forward, and they would stick to themselves. They would remain isolated and not spend time with other prisoners because they thought they were hopeless. They were certain, these, these allied prisoners who were in this Nazi prison camp were certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that this place they were at would be their final resting place, the place they would live out and die. But then one day something changed. And it's interesting if you were to ask the guards when the, when the story talks about it, it says the guards did nothing different the night before. They still didn't feed them enough food. They still didn't give them any extra clothing. They didn't take care of them. They had the same rules, the same regulations, the same restrictions. They did nothing different. But yet, when they went to bed that night, downcast, defeated, and hopeless, when they woke up the next morning, the prisoners were different. They walked out with their head up, their shoulders back. They began talking to each other. They were huddled together, no longer isolated. They were whispering things back and forth. They were smiling, and some of them were even laughing. Why? What had changed for them? Hope had awakened in their soul. Because good news at the right moment can change everything. You see, just the night before, somehow in some way, someone had smuggled in a small transistor radio. And for the very first time, these allied prisoners heard the news that the allied forces had invaded in Normandy and were making their way inland. Hope had awakened in their soul. Because good news delivered at the right moment can change everything. Before we dive too deep in today, I do want to welcome anyone who's maybe new today. First off, I want to say hello and Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Man, you guys look great today. I want to say hello. If you are joining us for the very first time today, we are so thrilled that you are a part of worshiping and celebrating and gathering with us. Maybe you are physically at one of our locations. Maybe you are here at our Stafford campus. Maybe you are in our overflow in our chapel here at the Stafford campus. Or maybe you are down at our Fredericksburg campus. Man, here's what I want you to know. If today is your first time, we are so honored you are here. And we've got a group of volunteers and staff members, wherever you are physically, they would love more than anything to get to know you and to be able to answer questions about what we believe and what we think makes this place called the Mount so special. Now, I promise if you ask them that, they're gonna talk for a really long time. So maybe just, you know, if you ask them that question, hopefully you have a lot of time to hang out. But maybe you're joining us online for the very first time as well. Listen, you can go right there in the chat and you're gonna notice we've got live hosts who would love to be able to answer any questions you have as well. Because here's the amazing thing about today. Over the course, like whether we are physically at one of our locations, whether we are online, wherever we happen to be in the world, we are all together through 13 different service times this weekend, and we are together connected 
for one thing, to celebrate the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ left his heavenly throne and willingly, obediently humbled himself to be born, to become one of us for our salvation. And that is the news that we celebrate today. It is the good news of Christmas. And speaking of that story, maybe you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a season. We have been talking about that story over the last month or so. We've been working our way through a series of talks we have titled Manger Mix. And what we've been doing is looking at that, that story of the birth of Jesus through a unique lens, using different kind of traditional, kind of famous Christmas songs that speak to it. And we're using them as a lens through which we look at this event that literally changed the history of the world. And so the first week of this series, we looked at a song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And we talked about the idea that Israel, the Old Testament people, had this, this longing, this anticipation that one day this Messiah, this rescuer, this redeemer would come. And it's the same longing that every single human being feels deep in the recesses of their heart. And one day he came to be with us and he fulfills all of our satisfaction and needs in the person of Jesus. We said the second week as we looked at the song, What Child Is This?, and we talked about the wise men come and they're asking the question like, who is this baby born in a manger with animals? Like what, what child is this? And the song answers that he is Christ the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords who conquers sin and death and the grave and redeems us. And last week we talked about the song Silent Night and we talked about the idea that it was this silent, peaceful night and the arrival of Jesus brings peace for our lives. And today we get to dive into one of my favorite Christmas songs. I don't know about you, but one of my favorites is the song, Oh Holy Night. And, was, and, and that, instead of working our way through every single line and verse and stanza of the song, we're going to just zero in on a couple lines that I think are incredibly important. And the first one is this, if you want to see this, as a thrill of hope. And we're going to pause because anytime you see these words that are highlighted, I need like participation from all of our physical locations and even online. So let's do this. A thrill of hope, the what? The weary world rejoices. This is a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. I don't know about you, but that phrase, weary world, I can't think of two words that more accurately describe the world in which we live. Our world is weary. I think we feel this, right? It seems like on a daily basis, almost everyone I interact with, they're talking about something or someone that is making them weary. Maybe it's the, the 24 hour news cycle that we experience where we're just bombarded with not, like I don't wanna say fake news, but like bad news, just stuff that really leaves us kind of like, oh man, how, how messed up are things right now? What's happening right now? It leaves us just overwhelmed and anxious and stressed about the future. Maybe it's the state of our country right now, the world we live in, where it seems like we are more than ever politically divided on these extreme opposites, and you're always against something. You're never for something. If you're not against this person, you're against that person because we are divided on extremes politically. Maybe it's a relationship we have that just causes us so much stress and weariness. Maybe it's our career our finances, whatever it is, it seems like on a daily basis, almost everyone I talk to, once we move past the, you know, the, the surface level, shallow conversations and get deeper, I hear things like, Adam, I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. 
I'm worried. I'm weary. This Christmas, I just wonder, do you feel weary? Like, are you stressed? Are you anxious and overwhelmed and tired? Are you weary? It's interesting to think about the world in which Jesus was born was weary as well. Some of you know this, but 2,000 years ago, the, the world in which Jesus was born was this world that the, the nation of Israel, the, the people of God, the Jewish people at the time, they had been longing or looking forward to this Messiah to come. But through a series of events, they had been kind of invaded by a neighboring country, taken out into kind of exile, restored back, invaded again, back and forth. And where we find them 2,000 years ago is the nation of Israel is kind of firmly under the oppressive rule of the, the Roman government. And they were weary of their Roman overlords. They were weary of the rules and the regulations that the Roman government gave them constantly about what they could do, what they couldn't do, how they could worship, how they couldn't worship. And they were weary and tired of all of these rules. They wanted the right to be their own nation in their own way. They were weary and tired of all of the oppressive, exuberant taxes that the Roman government continued to give them over and over again just for using roads and aqueducts and sewage and different things. They were weary and tired of sending their money to a foreign emperor. They were weary and tired of waiting on the Messiah for thousands and thousands of years, wondering, hoping. They were weary. But good news delivered at the right moment can change everything. It was into this weary world, this hopeless, tired, anxious world, that in the Gospel of Luke, the third book of the New Testament, we see where a group of angels appeared to some shepherds in a field, and they proclaimed something. They proclaimed this in Luke chapter 2, and it says, and the angels said to them, fear not. They're, they're, they're afraid because it's weary. Fear not, for behold, I bring you. What do they bring them? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What's the good news they bring? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news delivered at the right moment can change everything. Our song says it this way. It says, a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices. This idea of, that's an interesting word, right, hope. It's an interesting thing because hope, it sparks something. The song says it's, it's thrilling. It's a thrill of hope. It's excitement. It, it sparks something. It's new. It's energetic. There's something about hope that just causes us to perk up, to lift up, to look up. Hope has a way of creating this in us. We experience this all the time in sporting events, whether you have played a sport previously, whether you play a sport now, whether you watch a sport, have someone who plays a sport for you, or whether you live with someone who's touched sports, that should cover every single one of us on some level or another, right? But somehow, in some way, we've all interacted with sports in some way. And if you've ever been to a stadium or an arena, regardless of whether you're watching basketball, football, soccer, tennis, hockey, field hockey, whatever sport you were watching, you, you've been in those moments maybe where you've been in the arena and your team or the other team and you can see them and they're just not doing well. And so what happens is the people in the stands, the, the crowd, they begin like pulling out their phone being like, honey, if we leave now, we can beat the traffic. Like we can do this, we can get to the bathroom before the line, we can get some food on the way. And so you start to see people like leaving the stadium, leaving the arena. But if you've ever been in one of those moments where people are leaving, they're checking out, and all of a sudden there's a specific play, a specific catch, 
a certain goal, a foul, a flag, whatever happens, and all of a sudden people are like, wait a second, we might have a chance here. And they come back, there's a thrill. You, you, you experience this at home when you're watching your team and your team is losing and you're sitting on the couch and you're frustrated and you're eating your chips and all of a sudden something happens and there's a thrill of hope. You instinctively, you lean forward, you sit differently and you're like, honey, leave me alone, this might happen, watch. Like, watch what's about to happen. And like, you're excited and you're eating your chips and you're like, we're gonna do this. Like, we're actually gonna do this. You, there's a thrill, it's an excitement, it's energetic, it propels you. <laughs> we experience this, husbands, it's that feeling you got when the doors opened for the very first time and you saw your bride standing in her dress. It's that feeling that Commanders fans feel before the first game of the season and never again for any game afterwards for the rest of the season. It's that thrill of hope. It's exciting. Hope has a way of creating that spark, that thrill that contagious feeling that excites us and propels us and gives us the motivation and energy to keep going. I think that's why someone once said that we as human beings can live 40 days without food, about three days without water, about four or five minutes without oxygen, but only a few seconds without hope. Hope is vital to getting through life. But here's the hard part. We live in a weary world and hope is hard to find in a weary world. Hope is hard to find in a weary world. It's just difficult, it's just hard. And I don't know about you, but like what happens in life, it seems to me, is that when maybe you're much more spiritually mature than I am. But in my life, when, when I have these moments, these seasons where I'm experiencing hopelessness, and I'm not talking about whether you believe in Jesus or not. I'm talking about for all of us, these moments, these seasons where we're anxious, we're overwhelmed, we're stressed, we're, we're weary. And what I do in those moments, because I want to experience that thrill of hope, that excitement that I can endure, that I can get through, that I can make it. What I begin to do is I begin to search for and look for and hope in anything and everything that will hopefully fix and excite me and give me that thrill. Maybe you're a high school student or a college student. You look for hope in your grades. If I can just get an A in calculus, if I can just get past this, this AP class and get the right grade, then I'll have hope that I can endure and keep going. If I can just get the right relationship, the right boyfriend, the right girlfriend, then I'll have hope that high school won't be as bad. If I can just get enough playing time on the team and not sit the bench too much, then I'll have hope that people will accept me and things will be okay. If you're in college, you may say, if I can just get that ring before the end of college, then I'll have hope that I'll be able to get married and won't be single as an adult. We hope for things in so many different places. We, we become adults and it doesn't change. We hope, we put our hope in our career. If I can just get the right like, office, the right title, the right rank, the right GS level, then, then I can endure, things will be okay, I won't be so weary. We put hope in a certain relationship. We put our hope in our kids. We say, man, I, I want my kids to have a better life than I had. I want my kids to go to a better college than I did. I want my kids to start off ahead of where I started off. And we put our hope that says we can endure as long as they survive, if they get through, if they do better than we did. We put our hope in them. We put our hope in other people, our favorite sports team, the stock market, our bank account. We throw our hope into anything and everything 
the more weary we feel. I'm reminded of the book of Job in chapter 17 where Job cries out. He's talking to God and he cries out, God, where is my hope? Where's my hope? And maybe you feel like that's this Christmas. Your world is weary. Can I just give you some good news? Hope for your weary world is found in Jesus. Hope for your weary world is found in Jesus. Maybe another way to say it. Hope for your weary soul is found in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. My burden is light, and I will give you rest. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Adam, you don't know how weary I am right now. You don't know what it is I'm going through. You don't know how much we've overspent. You don't know how much, like, how, how, how bad it is at work. You don't know what it's like with my kids, what it's like with my parents. You don't know what it's like at school. You don't know what it's like at home. Adam, you have no idea how weary and tired and anxious and exhausted I am right now. You're right, I don't. I don't. I have no idea what you are going through. But I do know this, and I want you to know this, that you can never underestimate what Jesus can do in a day. I want you to never underestimate what Jesus can do in a day. Think about what our song says. I love this. Our song says the world is weary. It was in sin and error. It was pining. It was heartbroken. It was longing. In other words, this, the, the world was in error. It was in sin. It was weary. It was anxious. It was stressed. It was worried. It was hopeless. And all of a sudden, there's this thrill, this spark of hope. And all of a sudden, the world becomes rejoicing. It moves from weariness, from sin, from error. You move from weariness, from sin, from error, from pining to a thrill of hope leads you to all of a sudden rejoicing. Why? Because the song says this. It says, for yonder breaks. It's the idea of over the horizon, look, for over there breaks. It's a new and glorious morning. In other words, don't miss this. One day with Jesus is all it took to move the world from weariness to rejoicing. Never underestimate what Jesus can do in a day. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. John chapter 11, one of Jesus' best friends, a guy by the name of Lazarus. When I say best friends, this is like his, his ride or die, his homie, right? This is his boy. And they are like friends, friends, friends. But Lazarus dies. Lazarus has been dead for a couple days. Scripture says it's around four days. And he's so dead that if you read the, the King James Version, which I don't recommend, it's just old. But if you read the King James Version, it says that, that Lazarus was so dead that he stinketh. Like he stinks. Like, like he's dead and smelly. Like I want you to get the picture. He's dead, dead so bad that the Bible wants you to know he smells. Like that's pretty dead. He's, you know, the stone is covered. He's in the tomb. He's buried in the ground, whatever his grave looked like. He is dead, 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 wrapped up. It's been four days. Jesus shows up one day and Jesus says, Lazarus, wake up and come out. Now, this is totally my opinion. You can disagree with me, but you will be wrong. But... If Lazarus was here today and we set him down on this stage and conducted an interview with him and we said, Lazarus, 
You were dead, you were stinky, you were buried, you were gone, and now you walked out? What was the difference? I think Lazarus might say, Adam, never underestimate what Jesus can do in one day. Luke, Luke chapter eight, there's this woman who's been suffering for 12 years for, with bleeding. 12 years. Now, bleeding in her culture meant that she was an outcast. She could not go to the temple and perform the religious duties she wanted to do. She couldn't worship God. She couldn't get a job because she couldn't be around people. She most likely was homeless, living in the streets, living in a tent, somewhere, somewhere. This woman for 12 years had been an outcast, pushed out of society. You can imagine that after 12 years, she was probably pretty hopeless. She would probably say, my world was weary. I was tired and hopeless. But then one day, she sees Jesus, and she reaches out and touches his garment, and he stops and he turns, and he heals her. Now, I imagine if we set this woman down right here on the stage and interviewed her, and we said, what was the difference? You were an outcast, you were hopeless, you were weary, you were alone, you were isolated, and the next day you were running through the streets telling people all this good news. What changed? She may say, Adam, never underestimate what Jesus can do. And one day. Another example for you. Luke, or John chapter 5, this man who had been unable to walk for 38 years of his life. 38 years, the Bible says he was lame, he was crippled, he couldn't walk. And so every day he hung out by this place called the Pool of Bethesda, where hopefully somebody could heal him in these waters that were supposed to be magical. But for 38 years, he never got healed. And you can imagine after 38 years, he probably felt pretty hopeless full of weary and doubt. And then one day Jesus shows up and Jesus looks at him and says, pick up your mat and walk. And he walks. Never underestimate what Jesus can do in a day. Some of you, your story was just like mine. You were a sinner who was lost and wandering and selfish and far from God. And then one morning, one afternoon, one evening, Jesus changed your life. The old you was gone and the new you is here now. Never underestimate what Jesus can do in a day. Some of you, listen, your world is weary right now. Your soul is tired and your heart is overwhelmed. Your marriage feels like it's falling apart. There's no, there's no intimacy, there's no communication. It's not what you thought it would be. Your relationship with your parents is crumbling. Your relationship with your kids is crumbling. You can't believe that that person did what he or she did. They let you down. They hurt you. They betrayed you. You have this addiction in your life that you can't seem to beat. No matter how many times you go get help, no matter who you talk to, you keep coming back to that addiction over and over and over again. You have this sin cycle that is in your life, and you just cannot seem to break free from it. No matter how many times you've said, man, 2024 is going to be the year I'm getting past this. 2023 will be the year I won't look at this anymore. 2022 is the year I won't do this anymore. 2021 is the year I won't say this anymore. Over and over again, you find yourself going back to that very same sin again and again, and you're just weary. Maybe you had a doctor's report that was just bad. 
It was not the news you wanted or expected and you're weary. Maybe it was a loved one who got that report and you were just weary and tired and anxious. You overspent this Christmas and you're weary and anxious and tired about what January is gonna look like. You're just exhausted. Let me just tell you this. Never underestimate what Jesus can do in a day. Never underestimate what Jesus can do in one day. Hebrews 10, 23, I love the way it says it. It says this, let us what? Let us, let us hold tightly without wavering to the what? What are we holding tightly to? The hope that we affirm. Why? Because God can be what? What can God be? To do what? To keep his? In other words, when life is weary, no matter how big the mountain in front of you is, no matter how deep the valley is, and you say, I can't get through this, I can't get over this, I can't get past this, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm anxious, I'm exhausted. He says, no, no, hold tightly. Grab onto something. Grab onto what? Grab onto the hope that you have. What is that hope that you have? What is the hope that you grab onto in those moments where you are weary and your world is weary, that God can be trusted to keep his promises? What are his promises? For those of us that have professed to follow him, Jesus says, God says, I will work out everything for your good. Do you believe that, church? The promise that God says is everything is working for your good. Do you believe that down in Fredericksburg? Do you believe that online? Do you believe that God, that you can hold on to the promises that he is a good, good God who has good plans for you? Never underestimate what Jesus can do in a day. Now, some of you, I just want you to hear this. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Why? Because anything can happen in a day with Jesus. You might not feel it right now. You might be, your life might be dark and weary. But listen, for yonder breaks, and it's a new and glorious morning. And you might be just one day away from God doing the miracle you've been praying for. The world was weary and in sin and pining. And one day with Jesus, he made a glorious morning. Let me close with this passage from the Old Testament. The prophet Jeremiah, in the midst of this weary moment in his life, he writes this. He says, I well remember them. He's talking about some past moments. And he says, my soul is downcast or weary within me. Yet this I call to mind, this I remember, this I reflect on. And because what I'm about to remember, I have hope. So what does he remember when he's weary? He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Continues. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Here is my prayer for you this Christmas. If you find yourself in a weary world season or moment, I pray that you will experience a thrill of hope and it will give you the faith to rejoice in a new morning with God because I don't want you to ever underestimate what Jesus can do in one day. Let's pray. 
Father, we are so thankful that you, um, you walk with us through weary moments. God, we are so thankful that you sent your son 2,000 years ago to a weary world, and it produced a thrill of hope, a spark of joy of what was to come. As we continue praying, maybe here at all of our campuses, you would say the season of life you are in right now, you are weary. You're tired. Maybe you overspent. Maybe your bank account's not where it needs to be, and you're stressed and nervous. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that isn't going the way it should. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's a health thing. But you are just weary and tired, and this Christmas, you could use some hope. I would love and be honored if I could pray for you. If that's you and you would say, I'm in a weary season, Adam, and I just need some hope this Christmas, would you just be bold wherever you are and raise your hand? I need hope. Hands all over the room, all of our campuses. Father, I pray for every hand that is raised. I pray that you, you would do a supernatural miracle work. God, that you would, you would spark a thrill of hope to endure through the weariness. God, I'm not talking about tomorrow. I know physically, maybe it needs to be tomorrow. That makes sense. But maybe today, because you are here in this moment, maybe today we need to experience a spiritual new morning with you. And you need to give us hope that you are with us and you promise us in this moment. God, I pray for hope to endure in the weariness of life. You can put your hands down. As we continue praying at all of our campuses, one of the things I love about our song, Oh Holy Night, don't miss this. This is key. It was written by non-Christian and an atheist. What does that tell us? That tells me that you can know the story of Jesus, but not know the Savior who is Jesus. And maybe this Christmas, that's where you find yourself. You know the story. Maybe you've been to church your whole life, or maybe this is a new thing for you, or maybe just honestly you're one of those people who only come at Christmas and Easter, and you're familiar with the story, but you don't know the Savior that is Jesus. Can I just say, you may think you don't need a Savior, but you probably are looking to other Saviors in your life. You are probably, if you were anything like I was when I was in college and in high school and a young adult, I would look for a savior in anything and everything. I thought a relationship could save me. I thought a job could save me. I thought friends could save me. I thought pleasure could save me. I thought this, X, Y, or Z could save me. And we find ourselves as human beings looking for saviors in anything and everything. Why? Because our soul deep down inside, we know that something is missing. We know it's incomplete. And what I love about this song, what I love about it is there is this line that says, it was when he appeared, when Jesus Jesus appeared, that is when the soul felt its worth. And maybe, just maybe this Christmas, you need to surrender your life to Jesus so that your soul can feel the worth of his salvation and his goodness and his joy. 2,000 years ago, he came and he died for you, for your sins, your selfishness, your mistakes so that you could avoid eternal punishment and live a life of joy and freedom. And in the stillness of this moment, at all of our campuses, for the first time in your life, if you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to be bold and raise your hand high. Jesus, I surrender to you. Raise him up high. If your hand is raised, 
I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Be my king and my Lord. Today I surrender my life to you.